we'll finish off where we were Sunday afternoon teaching on uh, the righteous perish and no man layeth it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. It says, he shall enter into peace, they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. That's Isaiah chapter 57, 1 through 2. Makes us think about Josiah. You remember the Lord had told Josiah that he was going to die in peace or he's going to go away in peace or whatever? If we look at the intervention that he did between Pharaoh Nico and Pharaoh Nico told him not to intervene, he didn't have anything to do with it. Well, Judah wasn't at war with Babylon nor Egypt, but he intervened. The people were at war, but he shouldn't have did that. But that's when he died, Pharaoh Nico killed him. So it was in peace time that he lived and the people you know, it's distraught that it happened or whatever. He went away out. But he, he did something that he shouldn't have done. But he did die in a time of peace. There's a lot of things going on in the world. And I was telling you about the Palestinians and the Israeli army, what was going on over there. And Palestinians, really, they had the misfortune of that Hamas is a terrorist group that lives or people that are within the Palestinian area. Israel is going out and purging everything or whatever. Well, you know, a lot of people have their opinions on that, looking at that. But we can't eradicate the earth, so there's a lot of righteous Palestinians that are suffering also because of some terrorist activity or group within them done against Israel. We see it fracturing the Republican Party. I was reading something about in the House and the MAGA Republicans are going against some of the leadership, the new leadership that MAGA Republicans themselves because they're saying, well, America needs to take care of not intervening wars and things that don't have anything to do with America. And that if we at peace, we shouldn't be involved in other conflicts or whatever. So sometimes the righteous or good people die because of what others do. We go look at the book of Daniel for our last time. I think we need to maybe study one more time in this. I uh, mean, incorporated in the preaching Saturday, that the holy people will be given to with the evil and the wicked people toward the end time of a trample of the you know persecute God's righteous people. There will be a lot of death of them. But that's the souls of those that are under the altar. That so you see some of the souls under the altar, how, how, they, how long before, you know, you avenge our death in the book of Revelation. Can you say, can your brothers be killed in the same manner or like man as you have? So it doesn't mean here that the righteous don't die. It doesn't mean that their soul, uh, that they don't sleep in death. But it's a sleep. And they're not perishing, whereas the unrighteous perish when they die. Just like he, Jesus said, he wouldn't leave his soul to perish in hell. We only fear him that can destroy the whole body, mind, and soul in hell, whereas man can't do that. Because it's a point that man wants to die. And we see that in the book of Genesis, where God says that the soul, I mean, he says that, from dust you come, from ashes to dust, to dust 
you know what I mean, from ashes you come, and to dust you shall return. From dust you come, and to dust you shall return. We see in Ezekiel where it says, the soul that sinned, it shall die. But only Jesus Christ has the power of life and death. He can give you everlasting life, whereas Satan can't do that, because the wages of sin is indeed death in itself. So that first death has no power over us. Now that second death, now the first death had it one time. But we won't fall victim tonight, neither one of them, but the first death that is that we die and sleep in Christ Jesus, but there is a resurrection. We won't die the second death because we'll have the everlasting life. So this rest he has, some of them you hear in the book, he says, take now thine rest. So it says some will rest in their bed. So there will be those that sleep. And Paul says, fear not in the book of Thessalonians of those that sleep. For they'll arise at the twinkling. They'll arise at the last trump of God. So we that are alive shall not precede those that are asleep. So don't get the wrong idea that you know, the righteous don't die with him. And sometimes they do die tragic deaths as the, as the unrighteous. So, you have to look at it in the sense of where they say peace with God in the right state with God. That's why Balaam, Numbers 23, was talking about it earlier, where he says, let me die the death of the righteous. To become a, you know, a righteous person's death, there's a hope of a resurrection. There's a hope of after a life after this life is over with, and there's a promise from God. I think we will, last time when we ended, we were in First Timothy, the second Timothy, the third chapter, when it says, know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come, and the condition that man would be in. It says, for men shall be uh, lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, heady, traitors, and high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but not denying the power thereof from such turn away. So within the church, there will be those that have a form of godliness. In other words, they will be religious people within the church, within the church, those within the church or whatever. But they, they are not born again. They are tares that were sown among the wheat because Satan came along and sowed tares among the wheat. And God says, let them grow up together and I'll separate them. I'll send the angels to separate them in the harvest time. So he says, for of this sort of they which creep into how, into home houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust, ever learning, and never coming able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and John Bryce was with withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of uncorrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. In other words, they know of the faith, but God turns them over to a reprobate mind. We read a those in the book of Romans in the first chapter of Romans, and if you read that whole 
first chapter, you'll see where God turns them over to that reprobate mind because they've received not the love of the truth. The love of the truth increases help, increases you in righteousness or whatever. But these dwell in darkness and they indeed love darkness. And it says the 13th verse, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, these are religious people and they're legalistic. They have a form of godliness. They're preaching and teaching or whatever, but they're hypocritical. They are unrighteous. And we know what he says about those in the book of Revelations in the 22nd chapter. He said, he that is unrighteous, let him remain unrighteous. And he that is righteous, let him remain right. He that is just, let him remain unjust. So these are had an opportunity, and, and but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's what we have in this nation, the suppression of the truth. We have people saying, let's make it a Christian nation, uh, that is a Christian nation, and let it be a religious form of government and all that. Now, that, that's an antichrist government you're trying to establish. Only Jesus Christ establishes the government of God because God said, the government shall be upon his show. Not upon man's show. If we follow this Republican Party and what they're doing or whatever, and this national Christianity effort or whatever, we'll be the, as led away by Satan, who's men, ministers of transform into ministers of darkness, and into from ministers of darkness into ministers of light. This is a beast world system where you have the beast rises up, the false prophet causes you to worship the beast, which is the head of a governmental system, and if the president or whoever in the United States, and you know who that would be, rise up and that person, and you know the personality of the individual involved in this, would want you to worship them. They feel men should worship them, and they are equal in, from what they're saying to God, but they think killing and oppressing and suppressing you, and that's what they're doing to the Palestinians now is doing God a favor. Because they think they're the people of God. And beware of those, he says, because they're like Jonas and John who which stood Moses. The false prophet's not going to go down without a fight. And that's like Balaam. He went down with a fight, but he said, let me die the death of the righteous. But no, you taught to trick the children of Israel to committing fornication or adultery. You tried to trick them. You love gain. You love money. You went after money. And so it says they will go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear and don't be taken in by people like this that's in church that are preachers and deacons and member church members and just regular lay members of the church. Be wise. Beware. Be very aware. And that's the dogs that are not barking, that are not warning you against the people that's within. Paul says, grievous wolves would enter into the flock, not sparing the flock. See, because Satan already has those outside. But he's sending those inside to cause a great destruction. And they'll feed off of you. They'll feed off your wealth and your riches and everything else. They'll take your very life because the thief is there to kill, steal, and destroy. 
It says, they are the kind who craftily sneak into people's homes and make friendships with sinners, sin burdened women and teach them their new doctrine. Women of that kind are forever following new teachers, but they never understand the truth. And these teachers fight truth just as Jonas and John Bridge fought against Moses. They have dirty minds, warped and twisted, and have turned against the Christian faith. But they won't get away with all this forever. Someday, the deceit will be well known to everyone, as was the sin of Janice and Jambres. And this came out about Janice and Jambres in the New Testament. This is the living version of what Second Timothy, of what Paul wrote to Timothy, how people would be in the last days, how they would be. And be warned, the enemy goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The sheep, and there will be a many of sheep that he slaughtered. There will be a many of sheep that don't make it out. That's why he says, the righteous are taken away. Some of them, as they say, would be taking communion in an unworthy manner. Why would they be doing that? Because their talk of doctrine, some of the doctrine that they're partaking of contains leaven. So they're not purging, they're not able to have a retrospective look at themselves and see themselves and repent. They're not in a state of repentance. They're in a state as the Pharisees, holier than thou, and they think they're above those outside the church and a lot of those that are within the church. They think that they're better than others. And so we have to be aware of those. Second Timothy 4, 3 through 6 says, For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges, that challenges them with God's truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, choosing other teachers, teachers to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors that they hold and will turn their ears away from the truth, and will wander in, off into myths and man-made fiction, and will accept the unacceptable. But as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm and cool and steady. Endure every hardship without flinching. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. In other words, keep preaching God's word. Preach it where it hasn't been preached. Preach it where it has been preached. Evangelize with the word of God. And people are not going to want to hear it. But you must stand. Sometimes it may cause you your life. Sometimes it may cause a division in your home. Sometimes it may cause problems on your job. But we need to get wisdom and knowledge and understanding from God when to say what. To control our tongue and how to defend the gospel, it's called apologetics, about an explanation of the hope that lies within you. And we need sound biblical instruction and teaching and pray and asking God to give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding to approach and to speak his word and how to speak it in season and how to win disciples, to win souls. It says, he who winneth souls is wise. It says, go out being as harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. So we're not into violence. We're not into destructibility. 
being destructive of anything, but we are standing without flinching, without failing, with an uncompromising stand of God's word. The living group reads, for there's going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth, but will go around looking for teachers that will, who will tell them just what they want to hear. They won't listen to what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. Stand steadfast. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Bring others to Christ. Leave nothing undone that you ought to do. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord because you have to suffer to enter in. There's a lot of gospels, a lot of not true gospels, there's other Jesus that they're preaching that you shouldn't suffer and that this shouldn't happen to you and all that. But that's not biblical. That's not biblical teaching. Speaking of a future rest, and we should know that there is a future rest of the people of God. The book of Job says, 3.17, it says, There in death the wicked is ceased from raging, and there the weary are at rest. He's talking about a time to come when it will be no more wicked. He's looking at a composition of the book of Psalms when it says, Fret not thyself because of evil doing, for they shall soon be cut off. God's will cleanse the earth, he's will purge the earth, and in, in a reign of God, there will be a millennial reign. There will be a time of peace. There will be a rest, a final day that we enter in. And that's why I say sometimes people fall asleep, as I said about Josiah. Sometimes we die or, or we are not here. It's a, a rest and sleep in the Lord. But there's going to be a time of rest. When we're not asleep, but it's going to be a time of peace when it says rest in their bed. In other words, we've been in cease from our labor, but we'd have been in overcome the world. That's why in the forefather of the churches, he says, be thou overcome. Because the Sabbath day rest he's talking about, we're no longer fighting all of those battles. That's why Paul said it would be gain him to be able to Go to the Lord and be at peace, to be at rest with the Lord. But while down here on earth, we're not going to get that final peace or rest. We'll have his peace. But we hadn't entered into that final day of rest. Second Thessalonians 1 and 7 says, And so I would say to you who are suffering. Remember I tell you, keep that line up. Not that everyone's suffering. But he says, those that are suffering because we're talking about a majority suffering and those that have, have the ability to be able to suffer without turning from the Lord. A lot of people that God has chosen may be those that can't deflect away from suffering to go through. There's a lot of people that are married and in families and homes and jobs and everything. They're not how can I say it? Cut from the same cloth or whatever. Their character is not the same. Their personality. All of us are different in Christ Jesus. So there are those that maybe would succumb to suffering. And God moves them out of the way as he did in a, in a, in a horrible time. It was at these perilous days. He translated in it. He moved in it away from that. That's what that translation there means. He moved them away from that 
nothing to the heaven because remember I said that Jesus was the only man who ascended up is the same who had ascended down. All of us go at the same time. He said one won't precede another. So some of the teachings we have kind of skewers that understanding of that. He says, and so I would say to you who are suffering, God will give you rest along with us. The Lord Jesus appears suddenly from heaven in flaming fire with his mighty angels. So we see the time being parallel and the time being the same. Then he said, God will give you rest along with us. That means at the same time. Because there were, are those that are resting in the grave, those that are sleeping in death. But he's saying those that are laboring in rest, those that are going on, plus those that are suffering when he came, come back and say, he's going to appear suddenly from heaven with flaming fire and with his angels, those taking vengeance. If you look in the book of uh, Jude, Enoch, Jude refers this to the time when Enoch, as a prophet, before he was taken. He says he saw the Lord come with ten thousands of his saints. That comes from another it testimony. We're talking about it in the book of Jude. Uh, the 13th chapter says, raging, or in the 13th verse, raging waves of the sea, forming out their own shame, wandering star, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Verse 14, in Enoch, also, the seventh from Adam prophesies of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that they are that are ungodly among them of all the ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all the, their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurous complainers walking after their own lust and their mouths speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which, which before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus spoke, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. They that these be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. So we see, I don't want to read any further than that, but we see that all throughout biblical times, all throughout the eon, God's word has, and his spirit has been showing that there will be a redemption, there will be a worldwide judgment, just as it was during the time of flood, when Christ comes back, his lamb and executes judgment upon the whole world. And there will be a great removal. There will be a great judgment. That's the day of the law. That's the time of the law. That's at the end of the times of the Gentile, in which we're, I think we're right in beginning to be in the myth that's coming upon the world now. Hebrews 4 and 9 says, this new place of rest he's talking about does not mean the land of Israel that Joshua led them into. Uh, if that were what God meant, he would not have spoken long afterwards about today being the time to get in. So there's a full, complete rest still waiting for the people of God. That's the living version. The Amplified says, 
This mentions of arrest was not a reference to their entering into Canaan, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not speak about another day of opportunity after that. So there remains a full and complete Sabbath rest for the people of God. So there will be a day of rest. That's what that Sabbath was symbolic of, and that's what it was showed a pattern of a shadow of that great day of rest when all is complete. All of the making is over with. Just as creation was six days and God rested for the making, making man in his image is six days and there'll be a great rest. The sixth, seventh day. So the 6,000 years that preceded, the seventh day is the day of rest. That day, that day that he was looking, when he's basically specific, he's not talking about Israel entering to the Israel. That's why I say, when they're talking about Israel and the Palestinians, they fall, we're looking at Old Testament stuff. We're not looking at nothing that will be established there because the Jerusalem that we hear about, it's the new Jerusalem coming down from above. Doesn't it come down from above a city that we really can't measure, can't fathom, that comes down from heaven? That's a spiritual Jerusalem. Why does the spiritual Jerusalem come down? Because the old earth in the old heavens is passing away. We'll be a new earth. God is making a new creation. A new heaven and a new earth. And Jerusalem comes out. It's not that little strip of land that they were there fighting up. We're getting this all blown out of proportion, out of proportion because some preachers preaching about these different things and they are conflating the issues. They're conflating the scriptures and not giving a proper understanding to the people. In Revelation, we hear of a fifth seal, a fifth seal. We've heard of the different seals. Revelation 6 and 11 says, Then they were each given a white robe, and they were told to rest and wait quietly for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed until these people die. White robes is symbolic of purity. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. But isn't he telling them the rest? Just as Job says, hide me in the grave. Hide me in the grave, and I know I'll come forward one day. I know my Redeemer living, and I shall see for myself. I'll stand before him. We have to realize that this rest he's talking about is that we're laboring here on earth and he gives us rest. After a certain number of years, he gets. But there are some of us that will not see that first death. He'll come back. But those of us who are alive at that time, we won't perceive the change in the, in the, from incorruptible as those that are asleep. It's going to happen to all of us in the twinkling of an eye. Crisis will come back suddenly. But the reason we're looking at saying suddenly is the world is not going to know it or be able to see it because it's coming in us that are not blind, us that are not deaf, us that understand we have, have an anticipation or hope. We have the revelation of God. We don't know the hour, the precise minute, but we know that it is near and is at hand. It's now. And our salvation is closer than when we first believed. 
Revelation 14 and 13 says, Then I heard the distinct words of a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed that is happy and prosperous and to be admired of the dead who die in the Lord from now on. So we're talking about it was a time when the shift, you remember I told you from Abraham's bosom, the shift from Old Testament thinking to New Testament thinking? Blessed are those of us who die in the Lord that are sleeping in Christ from now on because we're looking at it in a different manner that we're not, we're not, let me see, to be absent from the bodies to be present for the Lord. The spirit goes back to him who did it, but outside of the body, that spirit, that spirit doesn't have consciousness and awareness. It's like, you remember the matrix? If you watch the Matrix and uh, the Terminator, the lady that wrote it, she was on television the other day, and some of the writers that uh, had it on and got a clear understanding, because there's no one person that does understand this. It's a unity of people. We come into the unity of the faith, the unity of the spirit. But we see where the body, the spirit can't exist outside of it has to, uh, you remember in, in Psalms and uh, it's one of the New Testament passages, it says in Hebrew, it says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me. A body, he had placed him in the body. The son was given. And so he was born of a virgin in a body. And the woman's seed is sinless, a sinless seed. So it didn't have the seed of the man. It was the seed of a woman. That's the seed that he promised in the beginning. He says, her seed will bruise your head. So this is the seed of the woman, which is the Holy Spirit. He says, that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. Didn't he tell Joseph that? He says, don't put Mary away. Because she didn't do anything fornication. In fact, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Came of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came in the body. The son was given. So we need a body. You remember the the devil, the, the legion of devils that Jesus passed out of the herd of swine? Did you notice that those demons says, don't send us into the abyss? The abyss is the place of no knowledge. The Abusa, the Abaddon, where we go into the place of no knowledge, and that's where false prophets and false things come from a place of no knowledge. He says, don't cast is it, is it, is it yet our time, and is it, it's not our time yet, and Jesus says, hush, hold your peace. And he told them to go into the herd of the swine. He committed them to the herd of the swine because they had to have a body. See, he condemned sin in the flesh I may be getting a little bit deeper than I need to get right now with us on some another teaching or whatever. But he condemns sin in the flesh. He's condemned to bodily existence. And it's going to be subject to vanity and vexation of spirit. So that body that he's subjected to. You remember that God sent a scapegoat and they sacrificed one goat. And they sent a scapegoat, someone to take a scapegoat into the wilderness, into the book of Leviticus. 
The escape rope was Azazel. Remember, friends, you remember fallen Azazel? Yeah. Azazel was sent to wander the wilderness or whatever. The Azazel, that's biblical in those things. That's why I say some of it is derivative of biblical understanding. Well, you remember, Azazel had figured out about Azazel that Azazel passed from individual to individual by touch. And that's why, you know, a lot of times the Bible says, lay hands on no, no man, suddenly on no man. You know, you lay hands to anoint somebody to pass on something. If Joseph passed on the anoint, you put your hand on my, it's a symbol of passing on when you're laying on the hands, a symbol of transfer of authority. Well, that, that Azazel, that spirit was moving through the different individual by touch. Denzel mm-hmm. figured it out that if I could uh, isolate Azazel to this wilderness area, he was out in the outside, and that if he killed himself, Azazel couldn't live without that body. But we see where Azazel went into that cabin. So, we see that it, if the spirit, the spirit life, when we start walking in God, he'll start making everything make a little bit better sense to you through an illustrative way or something that we can see it. So I say it's nothing of itself is evil. You could, all things are profitable and all things are good. God gives you understanding. That's why I say I'm, I'm not against you in a, watching television. It may be certain things that may not be better than us. You watch Netflix and certain horror pictures and vampires and all these things about the dead. Now you have a problem because we have a commandment to not talk to the dead. We can't do that now. So he says, I heard right blessed and happy and prophets are these. Yes, indeed, says the Spirit, so that they may rest and have relief from their labors for their deeds do follow them. Their deeds follow them. Now, you remember, we're not working for salvation because there's a book written that's going to be opened up and each man's going to be rewarded according to his work. Right? Are we all on board with that? You're going to be award, awarded. They're written in a book. But what are the wages of sin? We, Romans 6.23 says we're going to be paid that wage the wages of sin is death. That's what the unrighteous have. But we don't get that payment because why? Jesus died our death for us. He was our substitute. He was that goat that was slaughtered. He was the lamb that was slaughtered from the foundations of the world. So that sin that was out there is not compensated from us. If we don't come to Christ, we have a problem. He's the only way. It says, and I heard a voice from heaven. I'll read that in living. And I heard a voice from heaven above me saying, write this down. At last, the time has come for his Mars to enter into their full reward. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for now they shall rest from all their toils and trials, for their good deeds follow them to heaven. So the worst that you have done, while these others that are false professors and confessors says, uh, Lord, didn't we see the need? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do? He, he tells him what? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, he didn't say that they didn't work these works, but they were dependent upon those works 
Whereas here he says, the blessed, those that are righteous, then he's going to go follow after them. But these others that wasn't right, he told them to depart from it. He didn't deny what they had done, but they were dependent upon that instead of being the dependent upon Jesus Christ. And he's putting so much effort into them at this time, far more than those with whom he is not yet working. He is investing himself in his saints, and thus the death of each one brings with it the combined weight of all God has poured in and the choices of the individual in either responding or rejecting. It's like your children. You have so much into your children and you've invested so much of your life, so much of your effort and money and everything else, emotions and everything else. Else, You try to have something, a destiny plan for them. We can't do it. And this is a simple illustration. But God is the same way. He says, I have, I know my plans I have for you. That's what he says in Jeremiah. I have had plans for you. He had designed and he had chosen you from the foundations of the world. So that's why we are to come to God and each day ask him of his purpose and his reason and to lead us and guide us in the path of righteousness and what we should be doing. We are on a mission and we should be getting our walking orders, our marching orders from Jesus Christ on a daily basis. So we have a purpose and we have a job to do because he had created us for good works. And that's why he says, don't fail or don't grow weary of doing good works. But then if we like Balaam, if we turn from righteousness and work unrighteousness, how can we get the death of the righteous? He wanted to die the death of the righteous. No, you can't because Ezekiel said, if a man turn from his righteousness and do unrighteousness, all of his righteousness, which he has done, will be forgotten. It is at a moment of death that the course of the saint is finished and God can clearly see all that he has become, all that has become of his investment of time, attention, love, Grace, mercy, and instruction, and every other gift he has given. See Matthew 25, 14 to 20. So the men to whom God has delivered the talents to, and that talent, he gave each man a number of talents. But notice, does it say, Mr. Jackson, according to his ability? So to one he gave one, to one he gave two, and to one he gave five. And it's a different number in part of which parable you're listening to. But if you notice, the one that he gave the most did more with that than he gave. Whereas the one that he gave one talent, he went and hid that talent in the ground. So that was covetousness. And he thought the worst of the master also because he said, I know what type man that you are, that you're a shrewd man, that you reap where you had sown and all that. And he received the punishment to whereas those that had multiplied their talents, he doubled and said, give unto him five cities, give unto him two cities, the cities I have and then it is because those were his reward, reward for laboring. So he has investment in them, but that's kind of in keeping line with the scriptures also because he says don't give that which is unholy 
that which is holy unto the dog. In other words, stop wasting your time on some people or whatever. You notice he didn't waste his time on the Pharisees preaching and trying to convert them. You can't turn a goat into a sheep. Judas was a devil. And he said he was a devil. He knew he was a devil when he chose him. So he didn't waste time trying to change Judas, but he did give him the money back. So there are many prosperous layers of sins in the world that has money and has prosperity. And there are a lot of people with money and prosperity. Doesn't mean that they're serving God. Doesn't mean that they're righteous. Now, along these same lines, at the end of Paul's life, he was likewise confident. In his death did not occur, his death did not occur until his race was finished, or perhaps we might say, until God was finished with him. He says, For I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. And I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearance. Second Timothy 4, 6-8. So he wasn't worried about his reward. He was worrying about keeping his garments unsoiled. He was worried about fighting a good fight. He was worried about pleasing the Lord. We have to be that same way because we are bulletproof. Uh, we are immortal. I mean, we are immortal until the time we complete what God given us to do. You will complete what God given us to do. There's no man can resist the will of God. So if he has something for you, You'll receive that. He's not going to say, well, you didn't achieve all I want you to achieve. And I'm going to give this to the, that person. He already knew it. He's know what you're capable of. He's just working it out that we see and that we know. He knows the end from the beginning. Appearances and lack of understanding. Ecclesiastes 8.14. There's a vanity which is done upon the earth that there be just men unto whom it happened according to the work of the wicked. And again, there be wicked men to whom it happened according to the work of the righteous. Solomon says, I said that this is all vanity and vexation of spirit. It says, the righteous seem to receive all of the bad things, and the wicked seem to go through life unscathed and untouched. They have big cars, nice houses, Nice houses on the hill and pretty suburbs and everything that children are prosperous and good health and all of these things go on. Job noticed this about the wicked and also during his time. He said they can take their family on vacation. Nothing bad really seems to happen to them. But there's a different purview of this if we serve the Lord and ask him for understanding and wisdom and knowledge, we'll be like Asaph. We'll be inclined to go that way. We'll be inclined to be become disingenuous to God. We'll be inclined to go the way of the world. Ahab, Asaph said, I have almost slipped. My feet had almost slipped until I went into the house of the Lord. 
until he went into the congregation. And that's why we shouldn't forsake the assembling together ourselves. So that we can hear. God has his voices out there putting us on the right track, trying to put us on the right track. I tell you, we were running behind a little bit today because my wife had a doctor's appointment with a pulmonologist and the sleep doctor. Well, man, he's doing exactly what I think God said him to do. He has a, a wonderful spirit. He's looking out for the best. He understands family life. He has an outgoing spirit or whatever. It's easy to do your job if you're doing what God sent you. If you're doing what God said, and you'll love people, and people can feel that spirit. Man, I wish I'd have chosen, I, I could have got healed for my doctor back then when I did choose the doctor I have now. But I didn't ditch the doctor I have now because sometimes when you're bound, seek not to be loose. Loose, seek not to be bound. So this may be the destiny, but I'm enjoying the ride. And I pray to God each time for the things that happen. Now, a main reason, I think this may be the last one we're getting close to. A main reason that 1 Peter 2, 18 to 24 was written is to warn us that sometimes the innocent are caught in God's judgment. Sometimes the innocent are caught up in God's judgment. And I was telling you about that with the Palestinians and conflict and really feel sorry for a lot of those. Worldwide, God's people, compassion, the love of God that shot us straight abroad. Goes throughout the earth. We hate to see conflict and things going on throughout the world, but we know all things are working together. And there's a reason. And God's people are scattered throughout the world. They're scattered throughout the earth. But in that final day, there'll be a day of rest for all of us. If the Lord don't come back, there'll be six people. It may take eight, my take, that pack us to that place. And stick us in that hole in the ground. Mm. We've been in our race. We'll be in rest in the Lord. But I, I'm thinking, I'm hoping, man, I want to be here when he comes back. I want to go through this millennial and I want the Lord die. They will have to suffer for some kind of things they have not thought. A lot of times, we not so guilty of what has happened, and that's why. Peter talks about this. If you go back and read for Peter 2 and 18, well, sometimes we suffer for things that we didn't cause. And I was telling you, those people have terrorists implanted within them and their suffering. Sometimes the good suffering and God works on a national level sometimes with national events, but we have confidence and trust in Him to keep our souls. The test for us is whether we will be able to accept God's judgment, his justice, and take it in that same spirit that Christ did. Now, if anyone could ever cry unfair, unfair, Jesus would have been the one, right? But he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That they're walking alone, murdering an innocent man. Through the determinate counsel of God, he gave his son into the hands of wicked and evil by murdered men to be crucified. Servants, he, he says, this is what Peter said. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all proper respect, not only to those who are good and kind, but also to those who are unreasonable. 
For this finds favor, if a person endures the sorrow of suffering unjustly because of awareness of the will of God. Now that's suffering that you aware that the will of God says, this is the way you act, so I'm not going to rebel against government, my parents, or my children, or whatever the situation is, that you're right in the situation, but because of the will of God, something comes in, up and you suffer through it. It's like turning the other cheek. Mm-hmm. See, because that's not what national Christianity teaches. The Christianity that has arrived tells you about the they right to the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment remedy. Mm-hmm. They go around talking about killings and violence, and they some of the most violent people there, some of the most people that is, they've caused God's name to be blasphemous among the Gentiles. They are more ready to grab weapons and go to war and shell it. Right now, the Speaker of the House wants to take $15 billion as appropriated to take make the IRS stronger where it can go after tax cheats to the rich people that are cheating on their taxes and everything, take $15, $14 billion and send it to Israel for the war that they're in over there, something we have nothing to do with. And they're saying, taking that $15 or $14 billion away from that program, sending it to them, is going to cost the American people $90 billion over the next 10 years. It's going to cost her $90 billion to pay $15 billion to meddle with strike that don't belong to Now, it's biblical not to meddle with strike that don't belong to It says, for this reason, uh, if a finds favor, if a person endures this, after all, what kind of credit is there if when you do wrong in a punished for it, you endure patiently? But if when you do what is right and patiently bury it, that's a whole different thing that you didn't do anything and you bury up under these things. That is undeserved suffering. This finds favor with God. So Jesus Christ never did anything wrong, never did any evil. So those wasn't wages he should have been paid. The suffering, the things that he endured and the death. You put the devil an innocent man, he wasn't deserving of death. So that gave us the victory of the death of over death because he killed an innocent man. So the righteous are taken away. Jesus was a righteous. Well, have you considered Jesus being taken away? Well, consider us as we're taken Considering all these things, how about us? What trials have we gone through in which we did not call? But the trial became caught in somebody else's sin. You have to watch getting caught up in somebody else's sin. Now you got to pay for it. That's why Proverbs tells us about putting up security for somebody else. It's like you co-signing for somebody a car, co-signing for somebody's loan, and they spread it or tear it up and do whatever and don't pay it back. Now you got to pay for it. But biblically says, well, you shouldn't have that you should enable that. that. That's a bad illustration or whatever, but it's the only thing I can think of. Now,
now right off here. So it says, it is very easy in such cases to cry out to God, unfair, unfair, why are you allowing this to happen to me? That you've tried to do something uh, good. My daughter, my mother had told me not to touch the television or whatever. And my son touched the television or whatever. And my daughter was trying to rectify the situation. But my mother came in and called her. And she got the punishment for it or whatever. And she was trying to tell my mother what happened. And my mother said, I don't care. I did not tell you this. So she kind of felt that it was unfair to her what happened to her. You know, but sometimes we get caught up in another man's sin. We are, in effect, trying to vindicate ourselves. You're trying to say, I don't deserve what has happened to me. You did this to me. You clutched that mail. You said this. And it, it really wasn't my fault. I don't suppose to get this. What Jesus says, he feels sorry. He says, weep not for me. He says, weep for your sons and daughters. Because God's to vindicate us. But being a child, she's not thinking about God vindicating her. You know, she wants retribution right now. She wants an apology or something to happen right now. So when things happen to you and you've done the best you can and you've done all, you put it in the Lord's hand. That's what our conversation that's the righteous. The Lord give it, the Lord take it away. So Job is sort of complaining, you know, about it. That's why we shouldn't wonder and complain. So he told his wife, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away. He took his sons and daughters he took all he had and he took his house away from him. But see, Joe learned that God, what God does, and that's why he says he repented sackcloth, and as he repented, he put his hand over his mouth because he shouldn't even been saying what he was saying. Even though he was a righteous man, God had put him through these things, and he had told Satan, he says, he's an upright and righteous man, you do what you want to do to him. Right? So those things happen. We become frustrated and accusative, never ever even stopping to think if we receive truly fair treatment, we would get what happened to Naab and Abihu, Ananias and Sapphira, that we all deserving of death. That's the only thing fair. It is by God's what, grace that we receive the things we have. We would be in the, if it, but for the grace of God, we would be in that same situation as everybody else. We couldn't deliver ourselves. So we don't want that. We don't want justice. We want grace and mercy. In that scripture that we read, the 57th chapter of the, in that 57th chapter, that second half of that verse, it says, the righteous perishes and no man layeth the heart. And merciful men are taken away. None considering the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. And so I say, we're looking for mercy. And God promises to him who shows mercy that we receive mercy. So the merciful are getting taken away. So shouldn't we be considering, hey man, what's going on here? Like I say, during the time of Noah, and Jesus said it would be at the time of Noah, the people, the Animals was bored in the ark. Noah was building the ark right in their presence, and he was telling them what God was to do. But did they pay attention? Did they stop and turn around? 
know. So it's going to be the same. We're going to be married, giving in marriage, continuing on with our life. The true prophets of God is going to be preaching and warning, but the false prophets, there were false prophets during the time of Noah. So they were listening at everybody else, but only eight souls got above, above, aboard on that ark. God wants to see it if we have faith in his judgment and in him as absolutely of absolute perfect judge. Do we trust him or do we only trust him when the going is good? Peter is not saying that suffering is a commendable thing because who wants to suffer? You know, we're not uh, sorry. Well, may, may help me suffer, you know, help me go through these. No, he's not looking for suffering. But we know that may be part of what God allows. What is commendable is that one has submitted to God's will and that he is suffering, not because he did something wrong, but because he did something right. Jesus suffered because he did something right. And if you've done right, to the best of your knowledge, to the best that you know of the will of God, being led by his spirit, that's all you can do. But you need to learn to take it without murmuring and complaining and without trying to vindicate yourself as to why you shouldn't be doing it. That's what Job was looking for, a vindication, and he realized that he had one that would vindicate him. He says, I know my Redeemer, he, that intercession, that mediator, that mediator is Jesus Christ. That's what's standing in your behalf. That's the advocate with the Father who knows everything that happened and why it happened, the motivation and a discern of intent and discern of the Spirit. He know why you did what you did and what other people did. It was like Joseph said, you done it for evil, God turned it to good. In addition, he's not striking back, which is what his emotions would lead him to do. Now, we need to go on to Romans 12, 14 and submitting, but we're not going to do that tonight. I could go a little bit further. If I continue this, not knowing when, but I'll continue it from this point right here. I have much more to go on this subject. Heavenly Father, if we come